Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Father, we ask for your help this morning, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see Jesus, and in seeing him, may we be transformed to become like him, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. If I've not met you, actually, let's try that again. Sorry, this is an old preacher thing, but good morning again. Perfect. Thank you very much. If I have not yet met you, my name is Patrick Schlabs, and I'm one of the pastors here at the cathedral. And I would love an opportunity to connect with you after the service, so come say hi, please. There is a difference in seeing and seeing. And this can happen in so many different ways, but one of my favorite ways is walking down the same street that I've walked down a thousand times here on the peninsula and noticing a garden or a house, or a historic plaque where some amazing historical event like secession from the Union happened. Or seeing something like paintings in a book of the Renaissance. And then walking in the Uffizi in Florence and seeing a painting like the birth of Venus. Seeing it and be overwhelmed by seeing it. There's a difference between seeing and seeing. This happens whenever you stare at your spouse or coworker, maybe for weeks, until you finally notice their new haircut or mustache or what have you. There is a difference between seeing and seeing. And I'm sure that you've experienced this, right? Driving home from your commute and noticing something, a landmark or a sign or a home that you've not seen before. Looking at your house and recognizing that you don't, in fact, like the way this room is designed, even though you've lived there for 15 years. Looking at your family, your children, and seeing them, how beautiful and unique they are. We can many times see without fully seeing. For the past six weeks, we have been in a season that is all about seeing, called Epiphany. And mostly looking at the gospel of Luke, we have seen Jesus at his baptism, hailed as the son of God, the beloved son of God the Father. From Luke chapter four, we've seen Jesus as the preacher and the teacher, initially welcomed into his hometown as the hero, the hometown boy come home to be celebrated, but then later to be rejected whenever he said some things that they did not like. We've seen Jesus as the rabbi walking along, teaching, and then calling disciples and saying, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We've seen Jesus as the healer, welcoming the sick and the broken to him for transformation. We've seen him as the deliverer for those who have unclean spirits to be cast out, for them to be once for all set free from the power of the evil one. We've seen him as the teacher. We've seen him as the challenger calling out the religious leaders, saying, woe to you. So this morning, 
We come to this climax of the season of Epiphany, the last Sunday in Epiphany, which is historically focused on the transfiguration, this account that we just heard read in the gospel. So our question today is, what does it mean to truly see Jesus? And so I invite you together to turn in your Bibles. If you have them or if you just want to grab a few Bible, you can turn to page 867. That is where we will spend all of our time this morning. What does it mean to see Jesus? I think the the lead up to this exchange that we just heard read is important. Just a few verses before this, we hear Peter confessing that he believes Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus asked, of course, his disciples in verse 18, who, is, who do the, the people say that I am? And some say Elijah, some one of the prophets returned. But he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Son of the living God, the Messiah. It's a powerful moment. And then this begins kind of a shift in Luke's gospel where it shifts from focusing on Jesus' teaching and his miracles and kind of the, the, the essence of his mission And he turns his face now to Jerusalem, to the time where he will go toward suffering, death, ultimately death on a cross. And so Jesus predicts his death. He tells them in verse 21 that uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he says that multiple times in the coming uh, verses and chapters. And then he tells the disciples that it's not just him that's going to take up a cross. It's actually everyone who would come after him to follow Jesus correctly, adequately. We must also, all disciples must take up their cross and follow him. And then we come to this moment in verse 28. And Luke very intentionally connects this passage with what has come before. He says eight days after these things happen, after Peter makes his confession, after Jesus predicts his death, after he calls for his disciples to take up their cross, he takes Peter And John and James up to the mountain with him to pray. If you've read the Bible at any length, you'll remember that the the mountain is the place where God meets people. It's this place of God's presence going all the way back to Sinai in the book of Exodus. God comes down and meets Moses on the mountain. We just heard that read from, from Exodus 34. The cloud descends. God's presence is there and he meets people on the mountain. It happens again and again. The mountain is this place of covenant, a covenant renewal, where God says, will you be faithful to me? Here's what I will do for you. Will you be faithful to this covenant? Many books later, Elijah, who we just heard talked about, comes up to another mountain and he hears the voice of God that speaks to them, not in uh, lightning and crashing and, and earthquakes, but in a still small voice, in a whisper. The mountain is the place where our people meet God. And so it says in verse 29, as Jesus is praying, the appearance of his face is altered. His clothes become white. And this is, when we say the transfiguration, this is the moment that we are talking about. Jesus' appearance changes. His face and clothing literally become like lightning, bright, shining, glistening. The King James Version, I think, has a, a great translation. It says this, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. Gregory of Nazianzus in the 6th century says this, he was bright as the lightning on the mountain and became more luminous than the sun, initiating us into the mystery of the future. And so at the transfiguration, we see this happening, right? 
Not the transformation of Jesus, not him becoming something different, but the unveiling of Jesus as he truly is. This is just a a small glimpse into who Jesus is, the radiant son of God. This man, this rabbi, this teacher is displayed as the son of the living God. Very God of very God. Joel Green, New Testament commentator who will hear from a few times today, says Jesus' inner being in this moment was made transparent so they could see who he actually was. And then verse 30, Luke says, Behold, as this is happening, Jesus is praying and he's, he's glistening, he's shining like the sun, like lightning. He says, Behold, see, look, pay attention. There were two men talking to Jesus, Moses and Elijah. I love that that's kind of like a, an aside. There were two people talking to him. They, were, they happened to be Moses and Elijah, but that's not the essence here. Just these two guys, two bros. Cyril of Alexander, actually, in the same uh, light, said that these were his bodyguards. So I had kind of a funny image this week of them in like tight black T-shirts, you know, standing on either side of Jesus. So why do we see here in this moment Moses and Elijah? The church is almost united in saying that it is because Jesus here is standing with the great lawgiver, Moses, and the great prophet, Elijah. In this moment, he is meeting the culmination of all of God's plans for his people. This is the end of the law and of the prophets. The law and the prophets, Martin Bootser says, had no other scope or end than in Christ. That's what we see here. This is a culmination This is a turning point. And verse 31 says, he appeared in glory and he spoke, what they spoke of is his departure that he would accomplish when he went to Jerusalem. This word for departure is really interesting because it's a very common word for just death, for meeting one's end. And yet here Luke knows what he's doing and the word he uses is exodus. Jesus is standing here talking with Moses the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet, and they're talking about a new exodus. This is the story of the people of God. If you know the Old Testament, this is the formative beginning of the Jewish people. When they are rescued from Egypt, from oppression, from slavery, and led out, it says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm of God Almighty. This is the the foundation of their national identity. And yet here, Jesus is discussing a new exodus that will not happen in Egypt, will not happen with oppression of Pharaoh or even of Caesar at this point. But it's the exodus that will lead them out of liberation of death and of sin. And the sense that you get here is that this is something that is destined. They're discussing Jesus' destined exodus that he will one day accomplish soon in Jerusalem. So at the transfiguration, we see Jesus as the glorious, shining liberator who's greater than the law and the prophets, the fulfillment, the end of the law and the prophets. But do we all see that? In verse 32, Peter and his friends, James and John, it says, are heavy with sleep. And they awake and they see his glory and they notice these two men. And we're not exactly told how. Uh, Maybe they had name tags or something, but somehow they know that it is Moses and Elijah. It says that they are sleepy, that they are weighed down, that their eyelids are heavy. 
My eyelids have never been heavier than when I was driving from Amarillo, Texas to Charleston, South Carolina. That's a trip that I did once and I, I will never do it again. I've, I've, I've sworn that I will never do it again. And I was about three hours from Birmingham and it was about four in the morning and I was sitting with one of my best friends and we were talking and we were screaming and we were holding our heads out the window and we were slapping our faces. Our eyelids were very heavy. That's the image here. And in verse 33, it says that as the men were departing, Moses and Elijah are ready to head out. They've had their discussion. They've made their plans. And, and Peter notices this and says, Master, it is good that we are here. Let me build three tents, three dwellings, three tabernacles for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing, it says, what he was saying. Peter probably had in mind something like the Feast of Tabernacles, which remembered, which hearkened back to God's provision and care for his people in the wilderness after they left Egypt. And they would do that as part of a feast every year. They would live out in dwellings, remembering God's care. And so he, Peter says, why don't we just keep this going? This is great. Moses, Elijah, you all hanging out, us hanging out. Let's build a tent. But Luke says he didn't know what he was doing. He doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. He's out of his depth. He's above, this is above his pay grade, as it were. As the disciples in some ways see Jesus, they see what's happening, they see what's playing out. But do they see? Do they actually perceive? Do they understand what is going on? Again, Joel Green says that Luke's inclusion of their heaviness, of their eyelids, of their sleepiness is probably meant to imply that it's not just physical sleep that they need. There's a spiritual dullness here. A spiritual heaviness, a spiritual sleepiness. They go up to the mountain to pray and they're sleeping. I'm sure none of us know anything about that, falling asleep by praying. But more than that, they are misperceiving. They see what's going on. Peter sees Moses, Elijah, Jesus, but he misperceives. He misses the point. Peter wants to extend this mountaintop experience to keep it going. He sees Jesus in this moment as one of these great prophets and delights that he is in the midst of them. But he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was saying. And as, Jesus, as Peter is still talking, it says that a cloud overshadowed them. A cloud came over them like an eclipse moving in. And it says that the disciples were afraid. And this is a common experience whenever the presence of God comes, fear generally comes with it. Because it's entirely other, it's entirely different, it's holy. It overshadows. This is the same word that Luke uses a few chapters before when he speaks of Mary and the presence of God overshadowing Mary before the birth of Jesus. This cloud is an image of the glory of the Lord. We heard it spoken of in Exodus. This is the great cloud that went with Israel as they traveled through the wilderness. It says that there was a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The very presence of God meeting with them. Whenever Moses would go to meet with the Lord in the tabernacle, it says that the cloud would descend upon the tabernacle and meet with him. As Moses talked to God as a, as a man talks with his friend, the scripture says. This is the kind of cloud that's overshadowing. And then out of this cloud comes a voice. 
It's not just the presence of God, it's the very voice of God who says that this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Similar to the words spoken over Jesus' baptism. Except here we see it even more expanded. That not only is Jesus the son of God, the beloved son of God, sent by God to accomplish his work, but also he is the servant of the Lord, the chosen one. This is Isaiah language. We heard that from Rob last week. The servant of the Lord sent to accomplish the work of the Lord through suffering, taking upon himself the wounds and the sins and the sickness of the people. But the voice also says, listen to him. This is in line with Moses. This is what God said of Moses. There will be, arise a great prophet. You will listen to him. Jesus is in line with Moses and Elijah, the, the lawgiver, the prophet. But he is so much beyond that. The son of God, the servant, and the great prophet. All culminating here in the person of Jesus. In verse 36, after the voice is spoken, Jesus is standing there alone. And Peter, who's always so quick to speak and to put his foot in his mouth, is silent. Utter silence after encountering, encountering this voice, this presence of the Lord. And it says that they came down the mountain and they told no one until after he'd been raised. There's a shift from seeing and hearing what they saw to seeing what they saw to hearing and obeying. That is the call from the voice. And once they see it, once they experience it, there is nothing but silence. They see the living God and they are transformed. And now, of course, we read something like this and we come here today and we think about and we pray about the transfiguration, this kind of ancient event, historic event. And yet none of us have seen anything like this. Right? None of us have seen God. And so it is when we look around at the world that uh, ostensibly God created and loved, we are told, and we see its brokenness. We see its pain. We see all of the terrible atrocities that confront us day after day. The weak being destroyed, the poor being oppressed, the lonely being abandoned, injustice, death, disease, suffering. And we are reminded of that anew this morning, right? With all the things that are going on in our world people of Ukraine and beyond. It is very difficult to see God at work in the world. And yet for others of us, it's less of failure to see and more failure to perceive. We've misperceived God. We viewed him as something different than he actually is. We viewed him as a tyrant or a bad father or distant, completely disconnected from the world. Or maybe even just viewed him as one of the prophets, like Peter seems to. Master and not Lord. Good teacher and not Lord. Some of us cannot see because we are simply blinded. The prophet Isaiah that actually Jesus quotes in the Gospels says, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. This is the ministry of Isaiah, but also, again, Jesus will quote this. He says, they, uh, Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. 
And yet the transfiguration comes to us and shows us that though we have not seen God, that we cannot see God with our physical eyes, we can look to Jesus and see everything that we need to see. John's gospel in chapter 118 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He, meaning Jesus, the word incarnate, has made him known. Jesus has shown us the Father. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God. And so when we see Jesus, when we hear his words and know what he looks like from the pages of scripture, we see the living God. We see that God cares about the world because Jesus cares for the poor, the sick, the needy, the downtrodden. We see that he heals the sick and the oppressed. He's making sad things come untrue. We see ultimately the links that God would go to show his love for the world. In just a few chapters, Jesus ascends another mountain, the Mount of Golgotha. Gives his life. Sheds his blood. Doesn't experience glory and honor. He's not shining brilliantly in this moment. He's experiencing shame and humiliation for the world that God loves. Martin Luther contrasts the theologian of glory and the theologian of the cross. And here we see the the meeting of those two. The way to glory, the only way to glory is through the cross. That's what we see in Jesus. The depth of love, the depth of care, the depth of self-giving love expressed for us, for you and for me. And it's in the cross that he brings jubilee, as we heard last week, but he also brings this new exodus Leading, out of, leading us out of slavery, out of bondage, into the arms of a loving father. Irenaeus of Lyon says, As those who see light are in the light, sharing its brilliance, so those who see God are in God, sharing his glory. And that glory gives them life. To see God is to share in life. And as we see God in Christ, revealed here in this moment, revealed in the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, we're invited to participate in that to share in the very life of God. So my question for us this morning is, friends, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Are you sleepy? Are your eyelids heavy? Have you grown dull to this glorious glimpse of Jesus, the living God? Or have you missed Jesus, misperceived his work and his ministry? Misunderstood it. Or if you are not, if you're here this morning exploring Christianity or asking questions about the faith, have you been blind to that? Have you been blind to Jesus, his work and care and love for the world? This morning, if you're any of those things, sleepy or misperceiving or blind, this word, this in. This word of transfiguration reminds us, calls us to see Jesus as he is, high and exalted and lifted up, to see him and to be changed by him. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those of us whose eyelids are heavy, whose hearts have grown dull. We pray that your spirit would reawaken us, would enliven us to the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Jesus. 
We pray for those of us who have misunderstood you or misperceived you. We pray that your scripture would correct us, shift our vision to see you as you truly are. The light of the world. The lover of souls. And Lord, if we are blind, if there's any of us who are blind to you, seeing yet not seeing, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes through the power of your gospel, that each of us would be transformed to become like you. In Jesus' name, amen.